Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. Each week, Andy shares interviews with talent development professionals, thought leaders, and experts to share best practices, learn about the latest trends, and find out what has been successful in the world of talent development. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you are here for another great episode to help you up your game and improve your capabilities in the world of talent development. And in today's episode, we are talking about talent development. We're talking about training and facilitation. We're even going to get pretty tactical, which is something we don't do that much on facilitation best practices. I've got a guest today who I consider to be the foremost expert out there in facilitation best practices and creating and marketing great training programs. And so if you're involved at all in creating training, learning and development programs, I know many of you are, and many of you are very good at it, and yet we can always get better, right? We're a beginner's mindset. And today's guest is someone I love learning from in this space. Leanne Hughes is a business and performance consultant, speaker, facilitator, and positive disruptor on a mission to help people realize what's possible for themselves and their business. Leanne works with organizations on strategy and learning and development professionals on creating exceptional training programs. Leanne is the creator of two podcasts, including the First Time Facilitator podcast and the Work and Live Large podcast. She's creative, energetic, fun, inspiring, and as I said earlier, probably the biggest expert I know on great facilitation practices. Leanne has been on this show in the past. I interviewed Leanne for the Talent Development Virtual Summit that we hosted back in September of 2020 and aired that interview on the podcast in October of 2020. That's episode 193 called Virtual Facilitation Best Practices, Tips and Tricks. That came out again at the end of October in 2020. If you want to scroll back and check that out, Leanne shares a little bit more of her background and her journey and some really great best practices and tips and tricks for you as you are converting programs to virtual. We also dive into that conversation again today, sharing more tips on the move from in-person to virtual and how and when organizations decide to use virtual versus in-person programs. And then what can you do to create a great and engaging virtual program as well as an in-person program, especially if you're not using slides. We even get into some tactics and tips on using flip charts, both in-person and virtually. And Leanne gives a little bit of a preview of what her talk is going to look like at the Talent Development Think Tank Conference in February. That's right. Leanne Hughes, who is based out of Brisbane, Australia, is flying all the way up to the Bay Area in the United States to join us at the Talent Development Think Tank Conference and share her tips on marketing your programs so that they go from mandatory to volunteer to people saying, oh, I really want to go to that program. And that's a big one. I know for a lot of people out there, we create great programs, but then nobody shows up or people sign up and they don't show up because everybody's busy, right? They got a lot of stuff going on. So how do you make it more of a priority? How do you make it more attractive? How do you get people engaged and really wanting to show up for your programs? Well, Leanne talks a little bit about that in this podcast interview today, and she's going to be covering more 
at the Talent Development Think Tank Conference, which is coming up on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. You can get your tickets and find all the info at tdtt.us slash conference. All right, without further ado, here is my conversation with Leanne Hughes about creating great programs and marketing them so people really want to come. Enjoy. All right, I'm excited to be joined today by Leanne Hughes. Leanne, welcome to the show. Andy, thanks so much. Great to be here. Always great to chat with you. Yeah, so great to have you back on the show. I think we've had you on before. And of course, you and I have had so many great conversations over the years. Your show, on my show, on Zoom, on text and Instagram. We're always following each other and keep in touch, especially doing similar things. And it's funny, you're one of those friends that, you know, you think like, hey, she's a great friend, even though we've never actually met in person because we live on different continents. <laughs> yeah. And it just shows that you can build really strong and meaningful connections uh, without yeah. meeting in person. So we're, pr- we're proving that, but hopefully we get to meet soon, right? Well, we are changing that, right? We are going to meet soon because yeah. you are coming to speak at the Talent Development Think Tank Conference in February of next year. And you're coming all the way from Brisbane, Australia. So we know this is a special event. So I'm really, really excited to have you coming. Well, thanks for the invite. And I don't usually like jump on planes for 14 hours for anything. So Andy, uh, it'll be worth it. And I'm so excited to meet you, meet your community, and also share a bit about um, you know the work that I do in regards to facilitation workshops and everything else. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, let, let's start there. I know we've had you on way back in the past talking about facilitation and, and you are someone that I always think of as kind of the the foremost expert on facilitation best practices and putting together really great engaging workshops. And I want to get into that today, but tell me about what the work that you're doing today. What what does Leanne Hughes business look like for the end of 2022 going into 23? Yeah, it's really, I think the reason I started my business is because I don't like being pinned down to things. (laughs) And so if you'd ask me what I'm doing, it's, it's, I'm doing a really wide variety of projects, but really a lot of it does is on the backbone of, of forging connections, accelerating trust really quickly. And I think that relates to the best example is, well, for me, is to give you examples of, of certain projects that I'm working on. One is really based on a conversation that we had with your talent development think tank community, was yeah. it in 2020, in yeah. terms of how do you convert face-to-face workshops to virtual? So I'm still helping companies with that because what a lot of companies and organizations have realized is that actually there are some benefits of keeping this virtual. We can, you know, it's more inclusive, people that need to travel, all of that. But hang on, the work that we're doing right now in that space isn't so effective. So I'm doing consulting work in that. I'm also helping companies out with you. Uh, gosh, I'm sure you're talking about it as well. Quiet quitting, the great resignation, just trying to secure great talent. So yeah. working on strategies related to that. And also because I love podcasting, helping people out with creating podcasts, helping people book out their business. So I just love the fact that as a solopreneur, working under a personal brand, there's opportunities to sort of deep dive into into various areas. Yeah. And you you build a great brand, you build a lot of relationships and you find opportunities to do lots of different things. And you've gotten into some strategy work with organizations as well. And that's the great thing when you when you run kind of a solopreneur business like we do, you can pivot, you can, you can go after something that you're maybe you're more interested in, that you still got that kind of that bread and butter of, you know, helping people create really great workshops. And it's interesting that you say, you know, 2020, I remember where you spoke in the community and we talked about creating great virtual workshops because at that time, everybody was frantically trying to figure out, okay, how do we convert to virtual, especially all these companies that had never really done any virtual workshops. And then for the last two years, you know, 2020, all of 21, a little bit of 22, it seemed like almost every program was still virtual. And now we're starting to see some in-person programs come back, right? I know you've run some. I actually ran one yesterday. It was the first time I did the in-person version of my Own Your Career program that's been run only virtually for the last two years. 
How do you see companies making decisions now on whether a program needs to be in-person or virtual? Yeah, well, I think the most important question is, what is the value of being there live? And the secondary question is, what are we doing live that it's it's impossible to do virtually? Mm. So I think things like if it, it's a regular stand-up meeting, if it's basically just agenda and discussion, decision-making, I still believe that can be done all virtually. So what is the point of being in person? And I think it's really about building that connection. And it sounds incredibly obvious, but yeah. I remember I was working in 2020 in Australia. I was working on a project for about 20 weeks. And for the first six weeks, I was on virtual calls with people trying to build rapport. It became, it was really quite difficult. And the seventh week, I actually got to fly up to the mine site. And I remember meeting one of the general managers in the, the kitchen and basically just like, we just gave each other a massive hug. Mm. And what was interesting in that, that seventh week is that the level of trust that I developed in that week helped helped go back to virtual work. And really, we just got to a level of connection and trust and really rapid understanding of the project so that we could revert back to the virtual work. So I think it's more you use it to create a bit momentum to really accelerate things, but also I think to moderate what you're doing virtually as well. So I think the connection piece, hanging out, having a meal together, that is probably the value of it. What I tend to see companies where they, I think, are faltering when it makes it's coming to making decision is where they basically say, let's just all meet for a meeting in person, but mm. they're not taking advantage of the fact that they can gather, they can do different things, they can hang out more in a social setting because everything else really can be taken up over a Zoom or a Teams call. Yeah. If you're really just coming together so that one person can communicate information to everybody else then, you know, it could be a Zoom call. Some might say it could be an email, right? Video. Uh, or video yeah, that they send out, right? So are you taking advantage of the opportunities that are created when people are together in person, you know, that personal connection? Another big factor, of course, is the cost, right? Because I'm looking at companies that are now running programs and saying, well, we've discovered we can run these virtually. We can include people from all different regions if we do it on Zoom or whatever virtual platform, and they can all be involved and we're not flying them all into one place when they don't need to be there. Versus if you bring everybody together, there's obviously a a real cost associated with that that was just kind of understood before. And now it's like, well, we don't necessarily have to do that. So let's reevaluate and then make sure that it's really worth it for the times when we're going to do it. Yeah. And I think um, the word that has cropped up, it's actually because of recency effect, and I'm actually doing a speech on it very soon, is that sense of belonging. Mm. But also, I mean, I've got a question for you. This is something that popped up for me earlier this week. I had a friend that posted around, was posting around art and culture when it comes to building a connection within a business. I'm asking you this question. I'm really curious on your thoughts on this. We talk about connection, how people are more isolated, isolated and lonely than ever before, but it seems to be the business needs to take responsibility for that. Whereas I think community groups, sporting organizations, churches, like I think there's other areas to get a sense of connection and belonging as well. And I I sometimes think we're putting too much pressure on the business to be that for everyone. What do you think about that? Yeah. I don't know if it's ever been the business, the company's responsibility to create a sense of community. I think that's a great benefit. I think it's a it's a worthy goal for an organization to create a culture that has a sense of community where people really enjoy being around each other and working with each other, whether it's in-person or virtual. They get excited about it. They want to support each other. They have friends at work. I think there are studies that would support that You know, the more connections and friends you have at work, the more likely you are to stay, right? Retention goes up, attrition goes down. But like you said, you know, through much of 
life and history, we've also found community through, you know, our, our local town, our church, our community center, sports that we participate in, school, things like that. There are other avenues. So as with anything, I think there's a mix. I think it, it's it's healthy if the community, if the if the company will provide opportunities. And we need people to take personal responsibility, right? To take ownership of their career and their experience. Mm-hmm. That said, I do think there's a challenge, a lot of opportunities out there for leaders, especially who could be checking in more on the people they're working with and finding out what's going on with them, building, you know, communicating better, building that connection. Because there's an assumption I think that people make a lot of times that's out of sight, out of mind. And like, if I don't hear from them, then, you know, they're okay. she's probably fine. When yeah. that's not, it's not the case. In fact, I actually realized just as an example today, I have a, a virtual assistant who works for me on the other side of the world. He's in the Philippines. He does a lot of our graphics and marketing material. And I hadn't heard from him for several days. So I just shot him a message today on WhatsApp. And instead of saying, Hey, why haven't you done the work that, you know, I wanted you to do it was, Hey, are you okay? What's going on over there? Cause I haven't heard from you in a while. And he came back to me right away and said, yeah, I'm fine. You know, we're just catching up on things. So everything's okay. But can we connect with people on a personal level? Can we can, you know, can we check in with them? Because as you and I both know, people, ha- people are humans and they have a lot of stuff going on, usually below the surface, usually hidden. Like you don't know what people yeah. are dealing with at home. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I, you're absolutely right. And I think that is such a fundamental part of leadership. I, I know this, like, and I teach leadership development as do you, Andy, but sometimes mm. I remember when there's pressure and things are, you know, you just want to c- jump into a meeting and be like, hey, what's happening? Like, where are we going with this project? And you kind of ha- forget that. So yeah. even even people that teach it, we have to remind ourselves to build that connection. But look, you do it all the time, even prior to recording, Andy was checking in on me, <laughs> like <laughs> talking about the holiday. We weren't even talking about the podcast, you know, for the first 10 minutes. So yeah. it, uh, once you start doing it, it becomes a practice. And I think that's where we need to need to get to. Yeah. And some people are naturally inclined for that. I'm always looking to build personal connections and find out about people. And I've actually had to, to, for myself, to get better at cutting that off and getting down to business. So I have time for those things. Right. (laughs) But for many leaders, they're so business minded, like let's get down to business. They forget to check in with people on a human level. And a lot of people need that. They want to know that they're cared for. And I, I think I've heard you talk about this in the past. Do you do some element of this when you lead workshops? How do you find a way to check in with people and acknowledge them as humans before just getting down to business? Yeah, there's a few different ways that I do that. I mean, one is I always start the workshop before it's actually started. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'll, even before an official workshop, I always jump in like 10 minutes early and I'll tell my Zoom producer to, to let people into the from the waiting room. I don't, I don't sort of have an official start because I want to build the conversation as people are dripping in. So that serves two purposes. One, back to your point on building that connection, mm-hmm. making people feel at ease. But the second reason I do it is because when other people join the workshop, they're like, oh, wow, this conversation's already started. It's going to be interactive. So I set that scene from the beginning. The other way, I mean, just once it's started is I kind of have, I have like a three question sequence. So the first question is always completely irrelevant to the topic that we're talking about. And it could be, you know, what's your 3 p.m. snack of choice? Mm. Would you rather live somewhere where it's hotter or colder? Like just generic questions that anyone around the world can can answer. Yeah. And then I, the, the third question then, if we're doing a, a program about leadership development might be, who is a leader that you've, you've loved working with? So it kind of just, um, you know, I, I talk about going from low friction to create the ease of entry. And then the third question is then like the pivot question to move into the topic at hand. Yeah. I'm curious, that question, who is a leader that you've loved working with? Do you then utilize that? Is there a purpose behind that question? 
Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes it's easier to think of, <laughs> and actually we talk about this in my flip chart Facebook group a lot, is sometimes it's easier to flip the question and ask who is a leader that you've hated working for and why. Right. I mean, People think of that right some, away. Yeah. It really depends on like what kind of atmosphere you want to create. Sometimes it creates laughter, but it, it can be a bit negative as well. And mm. uh, so I'll make a decision on, on the spot. Yeah, he's here um, in the room. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. And yeah, so we'll take, you know, you know, might even like park those responses and see what the general themes are. And then as we're talking about leadership, going, referring back to the list, so it could be self-awareness, it could be they had great listening skills, mm. usually something that someone says and the attributes of a leader fit beautifully into the content at hand. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that question. That's why I was curious. And, and I assumed, and it sounds like you did, you don't just ask who was a leader you liked working with, but why? did you really benefit from or enjoy working with them? And then you can sort of crowdsource some of those responses and and sometimes look for commonalities of like, oh, these are people that challenged me, that uh, cared about me, that held me accountable, that helped me you know, get to different roles in different places. And one reason I love that question too, when I ask people like, who was a leader that really helped you get where you were or a leader you love working with is because I think that's also a great example of legacy. And when you think about for leaders today, there's always that challenge of, see, for me, I think leadership is all about enabling and empowering your people to succeed, right? And, and that could be moving on to other roles, but there's always that fear of like, I don't want to lose my people. When you ask people about the best leader they ever worked for, it was someone that really helped them excel in their career and get to the next level. And those are the leaders that they always remember, not the ones that held them back or hoarded them. Yeah, I really love that question too. And even when it comes to like, if I'm running a presentation skills workshop, it's putting someone in the seat of like, what's the best presentation that you went to and why? And I think often it, it's really interesting what we tend to experience. That's mm -hmm. what we should start then role modeling. So, but what's interesting, sometimes I work with groups and like, oh, I, I sat through a presentation, there were no slides yet when they run a presentation, they have to put up slides. So it's actually mm -hmm. just going, shining the mirror on what do you enjoy? So being led or being in a, a participant in, an, in a group experience? And then how can you start doing more of that in the work that you do? So it really plays on what, what they appreciate. To, so you're not having to convince them because that's what they like. It's like, now, how do we get you doing the same thing? Experiential yeah. learning, having people uh, self-discovery, right? To figure it out for themselves. That's it. Discovery yeah, based it's the best way to learn. Versus telling them, right? I know I don't like anybody telling me anything. I want to discover it for myself. So getting back to virtual workshops, because it sounds like what you're talking about these best practices to connect with people is you're giving more examples from a virtual standpoint, letting people into the Zoom room. For people in L&D that are creating workshops or running workshops that have been in this challenge of taking things that are in-person and moving into virtual or want to create better virtual workshops, what are some best practices or some things you tell people like, here's where you need to start? Yeah. So where you don't start, but where it is tempting to start is basically open up your uh, existing facilitator guide slides and go, all right, yeah, we can just put these and we just translate and convert these to virtual. I would never, I would never start there, but that's initially what I did. Um, it was a bit of a trap. Yeah. So I'd actually step away from the computer, <laughs> grab your guides. I put a, put a 10 minute timer on and really get back to purpose. Like, what is the purpose of this? So the trap is, oh, we had a an all day in-person workshop. So we'll have to do an all day virtual workshop. Everything is up for grabs. Timing is up for grabs. Who's included? The group sizes, like everything, all these questions are actually open. And it goes back to purpose. What do you want people to do? What is the point of a live call? And what I've been doing recently is recognizing that just having content in the workshops, like you said before, just having one person talk, that could be a video. It could be a private podcast. So now I'm trying to figure out the different media that can interplay. And 
in some of the programs that I've been working on, the leadership development content or the facilitation content has been delivered through a private podcast on demand so that when we get to a live workshop, which may be like an hour or 90 minute conversation, it's set up for the conversation. It's not just a replay of the, the live learning materials. So that's one thing is like just recognizing that the current program and the structure can be completely redesigned, but really goes back to what do you want to achieve from your group? Yeah. So um, begin, yeah. Begin, beginning with the end in mind and a mistake I think a lot of us make is like, well, it's already been created. So let's just adjust it, tweak it and move it over to virtual. And I've you know certainly done that in the past versus like, could we just start completely over and think about what do we want people to learn? What do we want them to do? What do we want the result to be? How could we best achieve that in a virtual environment? Yeah, that's it. And I think I, I contrast, I keep talking about, but the second that we're in front of a screen, we kind of expect to be entertained. Mm. And in face-to-face, you've got more, there's more room for you to like, because there's constant sort of interaction, you're seeing things in, in real time. In the virtual environment, I if basically I've got like a maybe a paragraph or two or five minutes of talking, I'll have to stop. And I want to bring in contrast, whether it's an activity, a question, a poll, or something, just to mix up what is actually uh, happening in the in that virtual room. And I think the contrast element, that's sort of what I'll run my agenda through. If is there a good mix of activity of interaction all the way through this? COVID-19 pandemic and 2020 changed everything in business and talent development. Almost overnight, companies were forced to figure out how to engage their employees remotely and run their development programs virtually. Luckily, Advantage Performance Group has been running a webinar series and releasing free resources throughout the last year and beyond. Advantage is a proud sponsor of the Talent Development Hot Seat, known for creating, learning, and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. Advantage helps leaders lead, sellers sell, and businesses flourish. To join our webinar series and find more of our free resources, just head on over to AdvantagePerformance.com. That's AdvantagePerformance.com. That's great. I think this is a challenge that a lot of people are still dealing with, right? Is this decision of, first of all, should it be training in the first place, which we kind of addressed, right? Or could it be a video or an email or a meeting or whatever? Second of all, should it be in-person or virtual? And then third of all, how do we make this really engaging so that people feel like it's worth their time and really starting with that end in mind and think about all those tactics. So um, I like what you mentioned. This is something I learned from you and I've been trying to get better at as well as is just changing things up, like you said, to kind of, what's the word? It's it's like- It's like a scene change. Like, so yeah. if you're watching a, a, a camera angle, like when you're watching anything on Netflix or something that's yeah. quite engaging, the camera scene will switch every five seconds. Yeah. And as, yeah. as viewers, we're really used to that. So I think it's, I mean, I don't have, I'm not changing, I don't have like 17 different, different cameras, cameras here. Yeah, and that's what I need to do maybe. <laughs> But my Zoom producer, he'll go from Gal. So so when I ask a question, like I'll be full, like when I'm presenting a content or a model, right? It'd be Leanne, full screen, no slides. So I can demonstrate it. I might have a flip chart behind me. I might throw up some post-it notes, right? Then when I ask a question, he'll flip to gallery view. So now everyone's in screen and that's a prompt for people to actually respond. Mm, Yeah, I like that. I started making a little bit more of these scene changes, especially in the virtual keynotes I do as a result of listening to you and talking to you about this. So I might be leading a virtual keynote and showing slides, but then I'll take the slide off and go to me as a talking head, right? And then go back to a slide, especially if I'm trying to make a really important point at something, maybe like stop sharing slides so that actually see me, which I think about a lot of times with the way 
Zoom and other virtual platforms are set up, when you share slides, that's like 90% of the screen, even though you know they're hiring me or you have an executive or someone who's speaking to people, they can't even really see them. I think the platforms are getting better. I've noticed with Microsoft Teams now, they have like four different options where you could put the slide behind you or next to you, that sort of thing. And I'm sure Zoom will get there very soon as well. But we got to think about, again, going back to that human element and why are people there? And they want to learn the concepts, but they also want to learn from a person and potentially connect with that person as well. Yeah, that's it. And the slides, yeah, a lot of the time then, what value are they adding to the presentation? And I remember like, I remember the one time I was presenting to a government organization and I, I honestly just had the agenda on a flip chart behind me. So I was like, you know, going through each point, crossing it out. And they're like, oh, we love the flip chart. We love that we can see where we are as part of this. And it's like, yeah. this is so old school. Like it's just, a, you know, yeah. and even the post, it's like, oh, we love the colors of the post. You know, people were just, it, that was a novelty. Because yeah. slides are like the default. So if you actually bring in um, other things, and I love getting people to be tactile and engage with the presentation by like yeah. writing things down, like even if then, because they're physically engaging with it, even though they're working from home. Yeah. When I ran, you know, I run this community, the Talent Development Think Tank, which you've spoken in before. And we ran a retreat back in January. I had a few different members lead sessions and and we made a rule. There's no projector, no slides. I just didn't even pay for the projector at the hotel. So there was no option. And I remember there was a comment from somebody who was there said, this is the the lowest tech day I've had and the most engaging day I've had in a long time. And so we're bringing that back for the Think Tank conference. As you know, you'll be running a session there that our breakouts will have no projectors and no slides. So it's just Amazing. you and a flip chart, which I know you are, you're right at home with. Uh, look, I'll probably be bringing in some painter's tape as well okay. and maybe a bell. So I'll bring in other props, but no slides. I think it's it's total freedom. But I mean, yeah. I've been, I've sit, sat in uh, Alan Weiss speeches for, for two days and he just has two flip charts and he owns it and it's completely yeah. compelling, interactive, awesome. So what the presenter has to get good at is then how do you engage? How are you telling interesting stories? What questions are you asking? I I, th- I think it's the best. I think it's wonderful that you've done that and it'd be a great experience for everyone involved, including the person delivering the workshop. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And I went to an Alan Weiss workshop last year on your recommendation. It was a great day. It was a one day, full day and one or two flip charts, no slides, just like you said. And he owned it, right? Whatever he wanted to talk about, he put a model on a flip chart and then we talked about it and then we moved to the next thing and he never yeah. needed a slide. And you know, the interesting thing about that, I never really thought about it until right now is when a facilitator is drawing a model on a flip chart that they obviously could have had on a slide, right? It feels very personal to you in that moment, right? Like they're creating it. He's doing it just for me and my group right now. He's probably presented it a thousand times before, but it feels like it's just for us. And it's it's a it's a more engaging tactic. Oh, 100%. And it's like, you know, the grand reveal, particularly if it's like a two by two or a van or something, you talk through each element and, you, and then you kind of in your seat going, oh, what's next? And actually a hack for anyone that is not confident yet in terms of like just live drawing is just grab a, a light colored pencil and just in, you can actually prep your flip charts beforehand in pencil. Mm. So then you're tracing over it in real time. Oh, That's something I, I never thought about that. Yeah. I have another tactical, I'm going to get tactical for a second question about flip charting. I get a little bit nervous sometimes when I'm going to a flip chart and I'm in front of a room because I've heard the advice, you know, never turn your back to an audience. And of course, the second thing is that if I'm going to continue speaking while I'm writing, then I'm potentially speaking away from the audience instead of to them. What's your your best practice on that? 
Oh, there's a guy on my podcast who's excellent at this um, on body language. Michael, I'm going to have to, I can't believe I've forgotten his name. He's, he's like actually a world leader. His brother started NLP. So hopefully oh. I think of his last name soon. But yeah, so when you're on the flip chart, it's, well, I'm left-handed. So I'll stand, your writing arm should also always be the one closest to the flip chart. So you write, then you turn and talk. So you want to keep the invitation open as opposed to having to lean over the other side of the flip chart. Does that make sense, Andy? Yeah. So actually Michael Grinder has YouTube videos all about uh, nonverbal body communication. Mark Bowden is a genius in it as well, but um, Michael Grinder actually does specifics on where you should stand and flip chart, signaling with your body language as well if you really want to get into the detail. Mm, Okay. So signaling, being intentional with body language, but I I might've gotten distracted trying to figure out who it was. So if I'm going to the flip chart, do I just write and not speak or do I keep speaking as I'm writing facing away from the audience? Or you said, I would, I would, I would draw and then turn, but where you can, if you, if you, it depends on where your flip chart is. If it's right in the center of the room, that makes it harder. It depends on where it's positioned, but always keep your body open to Mm. The group, like don't completely shut yourself off when you write. So what that means is the hand that you're writing with has to be the one closest to the flip chart. So you're not okay. completely turned around. So right. you're keeping so it you're open. Right-handed or left-handed, yeah. You, you and that, that's why, like, and my biggest problem with flip charting, my handwriting is so messy and I want to write fast because I want to get back to explaining the message. So yeah. I've really got to be like controlled and think about it. And we think it takes longer than it actually does, but it really doesn't. Yeah, I know. I it's it's similar to as a speaker and a facilitator, especially if you're an extrovert like me, like us. It's that silence that is always uncomfortable, right? And if I think, oh, I'm writing for five seconds and I'm not speaking, then somehow everybody's just going to leave the room. They're like, I'm done. I can't. <laughs> no, it's actually a really good breather for them. Like, and they probably need it. I'm exactly the same as you. They probably need a break from hearing us. <laughs> Mm, this is a good point. I love we just get really tactical on this. Uh, you also use this in virtual sessions as well, right? You, you, you use yes. the white, you, I've seen you use the whiteboard feature in Zoom, which is something that I have hardly ever used. I don't use, so I don't use the whiteboard feature. I use my iPad and okay. people are just, they're like, how do you do that? It's like an X Factor thing still is using the iPad. So I've got the iPad Pro with an Apple Pencil. I use the app, it's called Notability. So I use it a few different ways and I can um, want to talk tactics, but one is sometimes I can, I can bring in slides, like export slides into that and draw over the top. Otherwise it's just a completely blank screen. I can add in images. I can clip things. It's so versatile. You put giffies in there as well. Mm. And how does that connect into show on zoom? Yeah. So I just, uh, you can two ways. One is connect via Bluetooth or Wi-Fi, And the second way is connect by a cable. The cable is more reliable. So I always yeah. like plug yeah. the iPad in, it charges, and then I talk and scribe that way. And different okay. colors, people, it just brings it to life. You can see people actually leaning in when the iPad is there. Same reason that you said before, once you draw in real time, people are like, oh, wow, this is, this is for us. Yeah. I'm doing yeah. this for you right now. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, this is, this is good stuff. This is some good tactics right here. I hope people are, are writing this stuff down and going to be using some of this. I want to pivot and get into some marketing tactics because your session at the Think Tank is going to be not just about how, not about how to create great programs, but how do you market those programs and get people to show up? Because I think mm-hmm. we, I've talked about this in the Think Tank community that we run, and I've heard people sort of complain about this, that like you could put all this effort into creating a great program, 
And then you put it out there and nobody shows up or nobody knows about it because everybody's got a lot of stuff going on. Right. Yeah. And so your whole thing is like getting people to be excited to show up to a program, not the like just showing up because somebody told them to. Yeah. Well, the whole thing became the whole thing. I mean, I always, I've got a flip chart group and I always pay attention to the questions that are in there. And sometimes I'll just create a podcast episode about that. Mm. I think someone, this is a couple of years ago posted, how do I get people to show up to a workshop without telling them it's mandatory? And I was like, oh, that's, that's super cool. So I did, I did a whole podcast about it. I mean, it, it does definitely relate to create a great experience because ultimately you want that word of mouth within the business. But I think it's the same. The number one thing that I think us as facilitators, workshop hosts, trainers don't really consider is we stack all the effort into creating the content, but we don't actually think, what is the sexiest title I could give this workshop? Mm. So anyone that's listening to this podcast, I want you to think about why did you click play on this episode? And Andy, you better call this a really good title. <laughs> you better call this episode. On this. It's going to be good. It could be a couple of reasons. I mean, a couple of reasons. Like one, it could be, oh, they know Leanne. So, oh, we want to hear about facilitation or facilitation is actually a real pain point for me right now. So this is going to hit the spot, whatever it is. But that has to really appeal to your target audience. And often we see, you know, programs called Leadership 101 or Communication Skills or Time Management. I mean, that's not appealing. That's not appealing (laughs) at all. So the example that I gave was uh, when I was working, I I used to work for a, it's like a community college in Western Australia. So we're all marketing these these programs and one was email management and no one signed up. No one. <laughs> so we changed the title to email hell to email heaven and it sold out. We had yeah. 80 people sign up for this breakfast on email hell to email heaven. And that was wow. the lesson that I had. It was the same mm-hmm. program. Nothing changed. It was yeah. just the title. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So we're going to call this episode, uh, how to get out of debt, how to and save your marriage <laughs> and have the life that you want and love and travel 24 seven with Leanne Hughes. <laughs> we'll see. We're just yeah, whatever yeah. everybody wants, just bring it in. No, I'm with you. You know, there's a reason why you think about companies putting out content on the internet or the you know podcast, whatever it is, right? Like people spend a lot of time, the, the best ones being thoughtful about what is that title? People talk about click quote clickbait, right? Essentially, like what's going to get people to click? I don't spend enough time on that, but thinking about podcast episodes, uh, I absolutely like. I have lots of podcasts I listen to, and I scroll through and like, okay, what do I want to listen to today, or what's interest? Does that topic seem interesting to me or not? And a lot of it has to come, you know, comes down to the title. So I like that email hell to email heaven. Opening loops with questions, I find it works a lot as well, right? Like asking the question that a lot of people might be wondering themselves. And and then obviously you're going to be, they assume you're going to be answering that question in the workshop. Yeah. And I mean, I gave the example earlier of creating a podcast episode based on a question that I received. And I'll talk Mm. about this in our session um, in Sonoma, but it's actually using the language of the people that you're targeting as opposed to what you think they need. And so- Listening is the essential skill here, being uh, observing, but not projecting what you think. Because if you're the person running the workshop or you're the expert in the topic, it's hard to relate to where people are in their journey. Mm. And so you have to either go, you know, be very clear and go back to where you were two or three years ago, if that's the stage that you were at. Or you actually have to say, you know, ask them, like, what does this look like? How does it feel like? And then Mm. use the language back to then craft the title and the objectives as well. Yeah. So instead of something about time management or productivity, it's really addressing what is it they're thinking and feeling, which is I'm overwhelmed and I don't know how to get everything done. Or there's these important things that I want to do, but I never get to them because I'm always getting crushed by all these urgent emails. Yeah. How do I get out of these seven 
useless meetings I've got on my calendar today. I mean, I, don't, I mean, yeah, you'd have to be pretty brave to run that workshop <laughs> internally, <laughs> right? But but it's this is what people are thinking. Like, yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Well, I'm looking forward to this. So, and and it sounds like this is not going to be death by PowerPoint. Obviously, I've already said you're you're not going to have any slides. You're not allowed to in this session, but it sounds like you're you're going to be making this engaging. You've got a bell, you've got painter's tape, you got stuff coming. So, you know, what can people expect from your session at the Think Tank conference? I think it's quite different from any other session that will be run because it really has that marketing slant. And I think the success that I had in my business working as an OD advisor and consultant was that 50% of my energy was actually focused on the marketing and getting the attention of the people in the group and then the experience that led after that. Whereas I think traditional learning practitioners really focus on the learning objectives, but they're missing that marketing piece. So I think, yeah, we're going to have, I mean, a, a ripper of a time. You'll hear an Australian accent for 45 minutes. I'll have to probably slow down and maybe <laughs> maybe like use less Australian terms when we catch up. There'll be like things like, uh, I, don't, I don't know about if I'll bring in a checklist, but definitely some type of tool if it's mm-hmm. a template to help you figure out like how to market these workshops so that you get people signing up, booking out, and they're getting an ROI on your function in your department within your organization. And then obviously the knock-on effects of, of building the skill as well. So yeah. ton of fun, no slides, lots of activity, interaction, whatever we can cram into 45 minutes. I love it. And if there's one thing I learned about people in L&D, not only they like engaging workshops, but they love handouts too. So if you happen to bring a tool or a handout, last question, Leanne, you weren't at our first conference, but you are coming to this one. And I think you have a pretty good idea of what I stand for and what we're putting together for people that are maybe on the fence thinking about going to this conference. Why should they go? Well, I think, I mean, I think the timing is perfect. February, like it's the beginning of a new, there's new year, there's new possibilities. I think the diversity and range of presenters there is amazing, but also the fact that you have created an experience where it's all about the connection and the conversation. It's not just about the content. I think that is the real differentiator here. So I think it's going to be such an honor to be in this room and, and feel that buzz of energy and not only get the content, but figure out what you need to do, how you can do things differently, how you can get inspired, but bring that into your business and not wait to do that. Like it's, I think the, uh, the fact that it's action oriented is a real bonus. Plus Andy's awesome. It'll be great fun. So is Leanne Hughes. It's going to be great to have you there. It's going to be a great conference. If you haven't gotten your tickets yet, make sure you go grab those at tdtt.us slash conference. And Leanne, if anybody wants to reach out to you, you know, you've got the First Time Facilitator podcast, you've got the Work and Live Large podcast, and then the other work you're doing is all on your website. Is it leannehughes.com? Yes, leannehughes.com. And LinkedIn is, of course, connected to Andy there. So you can find me, Leanne Hughes. I'm just posting up fun insightful things. I hope they're insightful most days of the week. I look forward to connecting with you there. Yeah. I see you've always, you've been putting a lot of great stuff out on Instagram and YouTube as well. Just creating the brand, trying to help people out wherever they are. Well, Leon, thank you so much for being here and I'm excited to see you in Sonoma. Yeah. Thanks for the chat, Andy. All the best. See you soon. All right, that will do it for my conversation with Leanne Hughes. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I know we got pretty tactical in there on creating programs, on marketing programs, on using flip charts. I answered some questions I for myself. I took some notes. I hope you got some value out of that. I, I definitely did. I always learn from Leanne and I'm always using things that I learned from her to improve my speaking and my facilitation. I think we can always get better, right? And I love learning from people like Leanne. And I'm really looking forward to seeing her session at the Think Tank conference in February. I think we'll also have her in for a session in the Think Tank community in the near future if we can as well. 
And if you're interested in learning how to get better at facilitation, make sure you follow Leanne. She has two great podcasts. I mentioned the First Time Facilitator and the Work and Live Large podcast. She also creates a lot of great content on YouTube, on Instagram, and on LinkedIn. And you can find more info on her website, leannehughes.com. All right, that will do it for this episode. Tune in next time because I have a bonus Q&A round with Leanne where I'm going to ask her about her biggest accomplishment, her biggest mistake in her career, the challenges that she sees and trends she's following in talent development, a great book recommendation, and some really great career advice. Talk to you next time. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again. Take care.